is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of July 3rd through 7th, 2023. Ken Jennings is hosting this week on Jeopardy. But before we get to him and, and the contestants, let's check in about us, the former contestants. How are you doing, Kyle? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Just on the job hunt and working on stuff and doing the summer thing. Mm-hmm. Not a lot to report here. Yeah. Uh, how are you doing? I am doing all right. I have been home alone without my husband and kids for a week, which has been good and weird. And I got a bunch of things done around the house, but, you know, not as much as I was picturing. Mm. And that's that's how it works, right? Like That is always how it works. Like I'm picturing the whole week stretching before me and I'm like, oh, I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to get ahead on my work at my job and I'm going to like, uh, I'm going to exercise every day and get <laughs> enough sleep. I'm going to see all of my friends. I'm going to clean my entire house and also I'll read several books. In seven and, days. <laughs> and all of those things did not happen, but I did do a little bit of each. So well, hey. I guess... I guess that works out okay. Yeah. I went to see the gorillas at the Bronx Zoo. I saw I went to see them twice actually because I have long wanted to go and see them without my kids because my kids like to see the gorillas for about, you know, 15 to 20 seconds and I like want to watch them do gorilla things for a few minutes, but if I'm there with my kids then it's, you know, it's a constant negotiation. So mm-hmm. I just took a nice coffee and watched the gorillas for quite a while on my on my day off and then today i met up with a friend who the bronx zoo is kind of the midpoint between you know her house and my house so so we met up at the bronx zoo and we saw other things too but we saw the gorillas again so i don't know two two zoo trips in one week it's pretty good yeah it's pretty good it's been a good week and it was a good week for jeopardy as i said ken jennings is back hosting and on monday our contestants were sarah daly an artist manager from new york new york elliot kim a television editor from los angeles california and elena DeToro, a public relations specialist from philadelphia pennsylvania whose one day cash winnings total nine thousand five hundred. and the jeopardy round categories are riots in history a job in television cargo fast neg bait with oh. neg in quotation marks like a version <laughs> and touched for the very first time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. It's it's good. <laughs> like a version was all words that are similar to a version in meaning, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The presence of a category called neg bait was was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Very self-referential there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Neg bait, of course, I think listeners of the podcast probably know this, but neg bait being like the tempting incorrect answer that they might be expecting or that a, you know, a question would be likely or expected to elicit. Um, mm. Yeah. I don't think there was any 
obvious neg bait for any of the neg bait questions. No, I don't think so. I, there been wasn't really, anything. Really clever. If there <clears> had, <throat> been, I don't know how to write that question. <laughs> right. That would have been really, really specific to have neg in quotation marks and also have like one Valid, almost correct yeah. answer and mm-hmm. one actually correct answer. Yeah. But I guess that's the writer's challenge for you know, yeah. when, they're, when they're not on strike. Mm-hmm. When they have achieved all of their goals. Yep. And are and are back to doing the thing they love. Mm-hmm. We did have one missed question in that negbait category at the thousand dollar level a county in Northwest Ireland. It's also the name of a durable tweed fabric made there. And they had a picture. Sarah try Sarah, I think, forgot the category or, you know, rang in and then realized that her response didn't fit. She said, What is herringbone? Donegal is what that's called, I guess. Sure. Is that how you pronounce it? Donegal? Sure. Yeah. I think you would probably know better than I would. That's mm, my guess. Yeah. I'm guessing, though. So. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> yeah. It's a few days late, but the $800 levels of riot in history, the 1969 riots outside this Greenwich Village bar served as a catalyst for the gay rights movement. That's Stonewall. Elliot got that. But just a few days out of Pride Month. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe the writers were trying to time it in there because we do know that the the boards are sort of randomly selected. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in Touched for the very first time at the $800 level. Pick number 29 late in the round. Elliot finds it. He's at 9,200. Elena is at 2,800. Sarah's at negative 400. He wagers 5,000. The clue is finally touched with goodness. This literary character says, I will live in the past, the present, and the future. And Elliot gets it correct with was Ebenezer Scrooge. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, it's just, you know, one clue later. Elena's still at 2,800. Elliot's up to 15,200. He gets the next one. And then Sarah is at negative 400. Double Jeopardy categories are books by chapters, words within words, nature, B-movie quotes with B in quotation marks, counties of England, and no cap, which for all (laughs) of us old people is slang for for honesty, truthfulness. Yes. No cap is honesty and truthfulness and cap Mm -hmm. is lying. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I believe that is correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. But this was actually about not having a cap on the allowed, I guess, no amount of a thing. Yes, no, no upper limit. Thank you. That's the word. That, that's yes. the phrase. I was like, <laughs> what would that be called? Such as the eight hundred dollar clue. Twenty twenty three marks fifty years of family feasts at Golden Corral restaurants, and they're endless. This just take a new plate on the return trip. That's a buffet. Golden Corral. I'm not Is sure. There- Ever been Any, to a Golden Corral? You know, I'm sure they probably have them in New York. Probably not in New York City. They prob- probably, yeah. Probably not in the city anywhere else. But there's probably um, someone. There's probably one near me because I'm like just up in the in the suburbs where we have things like that. Where's my newest yeah. Golden Corral? Let's see. <laughs> was it last week we were talking about Sizzler or was that two weeks ago? It, I, good question. Uh, I don't. It might. This feels similar though. <laughs> yeah. There's a Golden Corral in the Bronx. And besides that, there's like one in Massachusetts. And yeah, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, like more upstate, like almost a Poughkeepsie. Hmm. All right. I, I don't know if there's a more American eating establishment than, mm-hmm. hey, come in and have a bunch of 
whatever. Mm-hmm. You can eat as much as you want. It's not great, but it's not bad. <laughs> unless um, unless Golden Corral is listening and you want to sponsor us, in which case it's the best food in the world. Yeah. Wouldn't say no to a Golden Corral sponsorship. Yeah, me neither. Not uh, really sure what would be in it for them. Like, I don't know. Them, maybe right? they like, think we, we reached their target audience, you know? Yeah. Words within words was tricky because they gave you a hint of what the you know, two words were, one of which is contained within the other, but you didn't get either one of them. And Sarah made the same mistake twice of giving the, the, the longer word rather than the word contained within it. At the $400 level, a small flowing body of water contains this, 500 sheets of paper. They were looking for ream. Sarah supplied stream and Elliot got ream on the rebound. Similar thing, although it turned into a triple stumper at the $2,000 level, a word for booze has this four-letter silver salmon inside of it. Uh, They were looking for coho, a coho salmon. Sarah got to alcohol and and said that, but they they needed coho. And then nobody figured out, speaking of young people and their slang, the $1,200 level inside a domesticated fowl is this word of disgust. It's paired with the in Gen Z slang for a dating turnoff. That's ick. The ick. I've heard that on the TikTok. <laughs> More like the ick talk, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah, I'm not right. No, not really. Daily Double number two is at the $1,600 level of B-movie quotes. It's pick number five and Elliot finds it. He's at 18000 with Elena at 2800 and Sarah at negative 800 He wagers 5,000 and he gets the clue. My people are praying for a man who can drive their team to victory over Masala. So I was torn as this question came out because I, of course, knew the correct answer. (laughs) And I was, I wanted him to get it because I want everyone to be familiar. (laughs) But if he missed it, I could do it as the deep dive. He did get it. It is, of course, Ben Hur. Ben Hur. It's Ben Hur. Yes. This is, of course, from Ben-Hur, the movie. Before that, it was a phenomenally successful novel. So you uh, say, I don't I don't know whether to trust you because I don't have enough information about it. <laughs> I will. I am waiting for my opportunity to supply the information, except that except for that one time when there was a triple stumper about it on Friday. And I didn't realize it was there in time. Too, too late. Deep yeah. dive. Too late. Too late. My moment is coming. But unfortunately, Elliot, who, you know, clearly must be a listener of the podcast, knew Ben-Hur, mm-hmm. as we all should. As we all should. Anyway, Daily Double Number 3 is in the counties of England at the $1,600 level. Elliot finds this one as well. He found all three. And he is way up at 28600 Wagers 1400 Elena's back at 4000 Sarah's at 2400 Gets a clue. Legend says King Arthur was born at Tentacle Castle in this pointy county that jets into the Atlantic Ocean. And he guesses what is Dover. That was my thought, but that is Cornwall. Mm-hmm. Apparently Cornwall does. Yeah. I didn't know that one. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Elena is at 3,200. Elliot is in a lock position with 27,200. Sarah's at 4,000. The final jeopardy category is fashion. And the clue is the name of these items that became a 1940s fad derives in part from a word meaning to cut short. This was a triple stumper. Elena tried what is demi skirt. She wagered 1,800. 
which drops her down to 1400 Sarah tried what are culottes. That's a decent guess. She wagered everything, so she drops to zero. And Elliot also tried what is culotte. He wagered 2800 which drops him down to 24400 Looks like he was trying to get an even 30000 But he was in a lock position, and he gets the win and is our champion heading into Tuesday. So on Tuesday, we have the contestants Chuck Beam, an HRIS analyst from Florissant, Missouri, Kate Campolietta, a corporate communication specialist from Simsbury, Connecticut, and Elliot Kim, a television editor from Los Angeles, California, who's one day cash winnings total $24,400. And we have the Jeopardy round categories. Happy July 4th. Words that end with double letters. Lady A with A in quotation marks. Where's my food? Westminster winning dog breeds. All for best in show, apparently. And a biblical burial. Mm hmm. Once again, Emily thinks that the standard of knowing the King James Version word for word is maybe not the right standard. It's, you know, it's their prerogative. But the 800. Yeah. The $800 level of a biblical burial, the clue was in the King James Bible when a man said he'd follow Jesus, but first had to bury his dad. Jesus said these six words. And Chuck rings in with, what is let the dead bury the dead? Which sounded right to me and was accepted. It is actually let the dead bury their dead, not let the dead bury the dead. And so after the break, they reversed the ruling and uh, took $1,600 off, you know, 800 he'd been credited for, and then, and then the 800 deduction for getting it wrong. <laughs> Ridiculous. Some of yeah. the things they've taken recently, like... Yeah. Don't um, write those questions. Yeah. Especially in the Jeopardy... Like, yeah. Yeah. That could be a $2,000 clue if you really want to get that, mm -hmm. that specific, but... Yeah. yeah. It's It's too specific mm -hmm. i think getting that exactly word exactly word for word biblical quotations i think needs to be limited to like really things that are like well known and like there's not a lot of variation in wording right. or you know where the kjv is like really really you know like wide widely known like the lord's prayer or the 23rd psalm or those kinds of things Parts of the 23rd Psalm. Parts of, yes. Yeah. Agreed. It was sort of funny to me that we needed to be more specific at the $400 level of where's my food. There's a rivalry between Brussels and Liège about the better way to make these. They are more rectangular in Brussels. Chuck said, what are waffles? Ken asked him to be more specific. Belgian waffles. Those, mm. are, those are both cities is liege a city maybe it's a town those are both places in belgium i guess the clue didn't say belgium so like i, I don't know <laughs> well i mean the yeah the category is where's my food and all of the correct responses oh, all the correct responses were supposed to have a location in them okay uh, yeah, well, or did did have a location yeah little is little neck i think so a bay i guess i think so yeah yeah yeah, yeah to, to right. stick with the category. Yeah, fair enough. I think that all, they also use Brussels and Brussels and Liège waffles. I think also there's like a difference in how the dough is made, like how it's leavened. Maybe there was a like a Belgian waffle like food truck that I was a huge fan of, mm. like way back when I was 
new in the in in New York City, and they had Brussels style or Liège style, and you could choose, you know, which one you wanted, and then like what your what your toppings were. It was, it's called waffles and dingas. Oh, nice, which which uh, is ding- which is yeah. Oh, I just learned this. Because I think they have it out here too. We saw a truck you, recently. You ha- they have waffles. In- because uh, dingus is just like stuff. It's yeah. like things. <laughs> yeah, right? it's things. just du- it's yeah. yeah, it's Dutch for or a belt like or Flemish mm-hmm. or whatever for like junk, like mm, stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, we just saw it like earlier this week, and I, we were like, "What could that mean? What could I'm that be?" So, I'm so proud of them. <laughs> Getting out all the way out here. When I knew them, they were just they were just one truck. They were just one truck, and the truck was near me. And now there's a truck near you. They're great. I love I love waffles and dingus. <laughs> I love that. Brussels waffles use a le- yeast leavened batter, which makes them lighter and crispier. Liège waffles have a thicker batter. There's more like caramelization when they're cooking, and they're chewier. So I- I'm a Liège waffle girl myself i'll I'll have to keep that in mind honestly the clue i thought they were just naming two places in belgium oh yeah but you are making it clear to me that there Mm -hmm. is actually a difference there is an actual difference there are two there are two different styles of waffle they're both they're both lovely i prefer liege okay daily double number one is in that where's my food category at the 800 hundred dollar level pick number 22 elliot finds it He's at 2200 with Kate at 5200 and Chuck at 800 He wagers 1500 and he gets the clue. This dessert of sponge cake, ice cream, and meringue that's finished in the oven was created to honor an 1867 land purchase. He responds, what is a baked Alaskan? But that is not quite correct. It is a baked Alaska. Right. So baked, baked Alaskan would be different. <laughs> yeah. Far more um, grotesque. Yeah, so he he drops down a bit. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Kate is in the lead with 6,000. Elliot is at 300. Chuck is at 600. And the double Jeopardy categories are U.S. Festivals, Science, Let's Go to the Sports Book, World Rivers, Foreign Words and Phrases, and Arts with S in quotation marks. I think I missed the S in quotation marks when I was watching it. Hmm. I did get almost all of them without realizing that they all needed to start with an S. With an S, yeah. Yeah. We got Jeopardy's favorite three named artist at the $2,000 level. Mm -hmm. Teddy Roosevelt said of his official White House portrait by this three named painter, I like his picture immensely. That's John Singer, Sergeant. That's a name to, if you're going on Jeopardy, just like look at his stuff. Remember that they like to ask about him. I don't know anything about him. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is why I I did not get that one correct when I was on, but I had a I had a clue about John Singer Sargent. Mm-hmm. I believe Bucky got that one. Mm. Yeah, I'd I'd be hard pressed to name another three named artist who is going to come up regularly on Jeopardy. Usually, if yeah. they say three named artist, they're looking for John Singer Sargent. Yeah, Jacques Louis David, maybe, but not American. Maybe. Yeah, he came up this week, but they didn't need a full name. I don't think they said three named. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but maybe that, that could come up. The World Rivers category would have been really great for my deep dive, which I only mentioned. I mentioned four of the five of these. Yeah, 
The $800 clue was a triple stumper. Catch and release salmon fishing is popular along the 120-mile Tay, the longest river in this UK country. You got a one in four shot. They didn't go for it. That's Scotland. Mm-hmm. But I did mention the, the Yukon. Yep. I did mention the Euphrates, of course. I did mention the Zambezi. Mm-hmm. The $1,600 level. And the 2000 was a triple stumper starting near Lake Geneva. It flows about 500 miles to reach the Mediterranean near Marseille. Kate guessed what is the Rhine. I don't believe the Rhine goes to the Mediterranean. I believe it mm. goes north, right? To the, to the North Sea? I believe it goes north. I believe you. Could be wrong, but I think it goes north. Chuck guessed what is the Seine, which I don't remember where it deposits, but the correct answer is the Rhone, the other one. The mm-hmm. other one for that part. Yeah. I learned a lot from your river's deep dive, and yet I am still so bad at geography. It's it's a lot, and it doesn't connect to much. Yeah. Between the three of them, they got all five sports book questions. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. It's good. There's, like, constant, like, joking about Jeopardy contestants not knowing sports stuff. So, right. admittedly, these were sports books, but, you know... Still, it's sports. Yeah, it counts. Yeah, it's the sports category. Yeah. Daily Double number two is in the arts category at the $1,600 level. Pick number 16. Chuck finds it. He's at 3,000. Elliot's at negative 100, and Kate is at 10,400. So they're the, the, the guys are way behind. He bets 1,500. Gets the clue. One of his portraits of George Washington is part of the Andrew W. Mellon collection at the National Gallery of Art. And he guesses who is Simpson, but that is Gilbert Stewart. Mm-hmm. I did a deep dive about him a while back. You did. Can I find recall it that. In the back catalog. Yep. You could do it again. <laughs> <laughs> you could take it real easy. Just do it again. Yeah. <laughs> and Daily Double number three is in U.S. Festivals at the $1,600 level. Chuck finds it. It's pick number 25. He's at 1900 with Elliot at 700 and Kate at 10400 He wages 500 And he gets the clue. An ice sculpture contest is part of Winter Carnival at this northernmost Ivy League school. He... Guesses Cornell, but Dartmouth is actually further north than Cornell. Yeah, Dartmouth is what they were looking for here. Yep. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Elliot's at 1100, Kate is at 11,600 in an easy lock position, and Chuck is at 1400. Final Jeopardy category is classical music, and the clue is composed around 1720. This group of instrumental works was dedicated to a younger brother of Prussian King Frederick I. Elliot wrote, what are question mark? And that is incorrect. Wagered $806, drops to $294. Chuck wrote, what is the planet? Going for the planets. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's only about 200 years off. And he wagered $1399, drops to $1. And Kate wrote, what are the four seasons? That's closer in time. That is also incorrect. Wagered $87. It's the Brandenburg Concertos. Mm-hmm. Which, as a violin player, you've probably heard of them. Yes, and have played a couple of them. Indeed. Oh, yeah. there you go. Yeah. So I, I, I thought that, that that was my guess, although I wasn't completely confident. But yeah, is there? How did you? I assume you like knew this one cold. I knew it pretty. Yeah, I was pretty confident. Brandenburg is associated with like. Berlin and Prussia and 
I don't know. I don't, I don't remember that specific fact, but I was like, the year 1720 is right in the middle of Bach's life. And they're yeah. by J.S. Bach. If it's 1720, they're probably asking about Bach. And if it's dealing with Frederick I, it's probably the Brandenburg Concertos. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to Wednesday. Our contestants are Angie Nyquist, a social media coordinator from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Aubrey Gillerin, high school English teacher from Charlotte, North Carolina. And Kate Campolietta, a corporate communication specialist from Simsbury, Connecticut, whose one-day cash winnings total $11,513. And the Jeopardy round categories are Born on the 5th of July, All Shapes and Sizes, <laughs> U.S. City of the Book. They uh, tell you the book and you name the city where that book is set. Opposites, Art and Artists, and World of Food. We started right off at a $1,000 level of world of food. Traditionally, oranges from this largest city in Andalusia are used to make some of the best marmalade. We talked about this when you were had a quiz question about Valencia oranges. I did, yes. Yeah, yeah, and I guessed the correct response, but now, now I don't know which one is which anymore. <laughs> oh, I've totally forgotten. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that before that quiz question, I would have just been like, Seville oranges done, correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, now I, now I freeze and I'm like, Valencia, Seville, Valencia, Seville. <laughs> I don't have <laughs> with knowing too much. <laughs> try to avoid that. I Seville try- oranges. <laughs> try to avoid knowing things at all costs. Uh, yeah, I think it, it's just easier if you don't. Apparently it is. <laughs> Seville oranges are the marmalade ones. It was a triple stumper. So the contestants also did not know that. Or maybe they, maybe they listened to that particular quiz and now they're mixed up like me about Valencia versus Seville oranges. Who knows? Maybe that could be it. That's probably it. They're all like, oh man, I remember that. I remember that deep dive. Born on the 5th of July, we had an interesting, some some misses at the $800 level. You don't need one of his Oxford scholarships to know this diamond mogul was a July 5th baby. Uh, Angie guessed who is Harry Winston and Kate guessed who is Musk. Elon Musk. (laughs) Elon, or maybe Elon Musk's father, but that uh-huh. it's. I mean, it, we should know it's an emerald mine, emerald yeah. mine, not diamond, but eh, not a, you know, not a. Although, like, not terribly far off for Cecil Rhodes, because also strongly associated with South Africa. Mm-hmm. Oh, we did get the we did get David here mm-hmm. at the six hundred dollar level of art and artist. It was also triple stumper. He was a committed revolutionary, but this Frenchman's paintings of Napoleon are among his best known works. That's David. They did a nice job getting all, except for the Daily Double that we'll get to, of the U.S. city of the book cities. The $400 level sailed right over my head. Gone, baby, gone. A wicked good read. Wicked was the clue. Kate, Kate picked it up. That's Boston. I -hmm. just, I just, my brain just automatically translated it into a very good read. And I'm like, well, how Mm -hmm. am I supposed to know where that wicked good read is set? Like who could, (laughs) who could know? (laughs) Gosh, that's really obscure for a $400 clue. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't, I think I don't really have a Massachusetts accent, but I do like, I, I give away where I'm from when I, inadvertently casually use wicked as a as a you know to mean very right yeah, yeah. It, it still slips out from time to time people are like you're wicked tired huh 
<laughs> You're from Massachusetts. Yes. It's a dead giveaway. Mm-hmm. Daily Double number one is down at the $1,000 level of that category. It's pick number 12. Kate finds it. She's at 800. Aubrey's at 1,000. Angie's at 800. She was just 201, which just why? Yeah. Gets a clue. Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Go south. Uh, she guesses what is Dallas. It's Savannah, Georgia. Mm-hmm. So she drops to 199. <laughs> uh, anyway, end of the Jeopardy round. Kate's at 1799. Aubrey's at 200. And Angie's at 2000. The double Jeopardy categories are Nation's Last Monarchs, Rhyming Phrases, Memoirs, Religion, Math Abbreviations and Symbols, and Who Are You? The letter U in quotation marks. I thought the religion category was, you know, reasonably balanced. We we had two Christianity questions. Mm-hmm. And then one Hinduism, one Judaism, and one Islam. And... I mean, I still, I still long for deeper cuts about non-Christian religions, mm-hmm. um, but you know, these were a little bit more in that direction, maybe than typical. The eight hundred dollar level, Sebastian Maniscalco on his first of these Passover dinners. We sit down. I'm starving. They start passing out pamphlets. Kate got that. That is a seder. Seder is the meal associated with the holiday of Passover. Um, you know, so like, I think that I've, I've groused about, you know, often with non-Christian religions, ultimately the, like the answer is like, what is Judaism? What is Islam? Right. What is the Quran? Right. It's like a handful of like, just sort of the top three, you know, most important, best known terms from those religions. And, you know, this is, this is, it's a, it's a little bit more detailed than maybe some of the things that we have seen. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I agree. The $2,000 clue of memoirs was a triple stumper in my last side director, Luis Bunuel. I don't know how to pronounce that. Yeah. Luis Bunuel recalls this Spanish art artist seducing women and putting fried eggs on their shoulders. Oh, Salvador Dali. No, none of them tried it. I think there was also a reference to Dali in the arts with an S the Some, day before. Yeah. yeah with melting Sur- clocks. Yeah. yeah. There was a reference to melting clocks in the clue where they were looking for surrealism. Yeah. Yeah. We find daily double number two in rhyming phrases at the $1,600 level. Pick number 16. Aubrey finds it. He is at 8,200 with Kate at 4,999 and Angie at 3,600. He wagers 1400 and he gets the clue meaning by any means necessary. This five word phrase ends with a shepherd's tool and he can't come up with anything they are looking for by hook or by crook. Yep. And daily double number three is back in the religion category, $1,600 level. Just two picks later, Kate uncovers it. She is at 5799. Aubrey's at 6,800. Angie is at 3,600. And Kate wagers 1,101. Trying to write that wrong. That or make cl- it worse. We'll see. Uh, well, I mean, there's only... You well, try. I guess she's hoping to get it right. So, yeah. 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 Gets a clue. In this religious group, high church, such as the Oxford movement, is more like Catholicism and low church is less so. 
and she gets it correct with what is, I guess she says Episcopalianism, mm-hmm. which counts as like Anglicanism or the Church of England. Yeah. Interestingly, Aubrey's social media. So, so like Kate is the one who gets this and she gets it right. But Aubrey on at least Twitter and Instagram, like his first, the first thing in his bio is Episcopalian. Hmm. So bummer. <laughs> yeah. Bummer, <laughs> bummer, dude. For, bummer for him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Aubrey's in the lead with 11,200. Kate is at 6,900. Nice. Angie's at 4,800. Hey, you, you admonish me every time. <laughs> you can't beat him, join him. The final Jeopardy category is African countries. And the clue is nicknamed the kingdom in the sky. This landlocked nation is the only country in the world to lie entirely above 4,000 feet. We go to Angie first. She has, Kat pronounces it Lesotho. I thought that it was pronounced Lesotho. Lesotho. That's what I've heard it more as. Yeah. Wikipedia has it as Lesotho. So I'll I'll go with that. She has, what is Lesotho? And that is correct. She wagered 4,000, which brings her up to 8,800. Kate tried, what is Burundi? Not correct. She has wagered everything so she'll drop to zero and aubrey tried what is ethiopia with a 2601 wager we know that's not correct smart guess yep Mm -hmm. they love it they love writing questions about ethiopia so but not not this time so he's wagered 2601 dropping him down to 8599 so he's dropping below angie and she is the winner coming from third place she she looked astounded but hey you know nice job way to get it and and good wagering yeah yeah. Yeah. Keep yourself in it to the end. Mm-hmm. So on Thursday, we have the contestants, Carol Oppenheim, a retired computer programmer from Owings Mills, Maryland, Alex Gordon, a medical student from Summers, New York, and Angie Nyquist, a social media coordinator from Minneapolis, Minnesota, who just won $8,800. And we have the Jeopardy Round categories, Myth Misery, a TV series. So I'm reading this book. Antiques, Road, and Show. Mm-hmm. The $400 level of So I'm Reading This Book, a novel writing the clue for us. This is a story of how a Baggins had an adventure. Alex got that one. That is The Hobbit. I'm reading that. We're reading that out loud with our kids right now. The Hobbit mm-hmm. is great. It's so good. It really is good. I think I might... I might like it better than and than the Lord any of the Lord of the Rings books. Yeah, like if it's a great read aloud too. It is it is you know clear clearly written to be a good read aloud mm-hmm. with children. Like I think and yeah. I don't remember much about Tolkien's like home and family life, but I just that, I, I don't know. I feel like he <laughs> he well, knew the, how the, to write for that. Well, the, the Hobbit was originally a story for his kids. Yes, mm-hmm. yep. so it may, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> that way the lord of the rings kind of spun out of that later which it also took on a much more like adult and like i don't know like almost like a history kind of approach his first story though was also for his kids it's called rover random and it's about a dog that goes to the moon (laughs) so if you want if you want to check that out it's very easy to read and okay kids might like it they might not they find a dragon on the moon so yeah anyway getting off topic there but yes the hobbit yeah Yeah. so good yeah 
The Myth Misery was all about Greek mythology, specifically. Yeah, that's true. But I thought they were fairly gettable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I knew all of them, which I don't nice. always with Greek mythology. It's because you played categories. Hades. Yes. And you met Sisyphus a bunch of times. Yeah. Have I met Sisyphus? Hades? Maybe I did. He's the, the, the guy that you meet in the first. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. In Tartarus. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I'm so friendly. Yes. yes. You know, any any thoughts about Stradivarius? I don't. I'm not a violinist. Like yeah. I know that. Was that actually a picture of a Stradivarius violin? I, I don't. I don't know. I it might have been, but that bow. I did note. I looked at the bow, and having been a public school teacher for a long time, I'm a connoisseur of cheap bows. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 was a cheap bow. Yeah, yeah. The the violin didn't. Like, I'm not sure what a Stradivarius, like, like looks like. Like, I'm not sure I could distinguish a Stradivarius from a similar, you know, a violin of a similar era. Uh, mm-hmm. But it didn't look like a really old instrument. No. Yeah. It looked like they found a picture of a violin. That's what I thought. Maybe it's a, a Stradivarius copy. Because yeah. I know a lot of a lot of manufacturers make, like, quote unquote, facsimiles of Stradivarius. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah. Daily double number one is at the $800 level of road. Pick number 29. Carol finds it. She's at 2,800 with Angie at 2,600 and Alex at 5,400. She wagers 2,600, all but $200. And she gets the clue. Lively Las Ramblas is a main street in this city and links Plaza de Catalunya to the city's old harbor. She, I think, is see, you know, sees, you know, kind of some some Spanish words and a, a men, maybe a mention of a harbor, maybe that, yeah, I don't know, Try, and tries what is Havana, Barcelona, is what we were looking for here. Yeah, yeah, I knew that one because we went to went to Barcelona way back. Nice. Back when. Yeah, it was the it was the first place we traveled out of the country after having a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a that's a very cool city. We'll say. Yeah. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Angie is at 2,600. Alex is at 5,400. Carol, who just lost all but 200, is still at 200. And the double Jeopardy categories are geographic anagrams. One of the words in the clue will be an anagram of the response they're looking for. (laughs) The main ingredient, science, 10-letter adjectives, names in history, and some hard songs with hard in quotation marks. We've had like at least three food categories this week. I think three. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, a number of food categories. More than more than normal. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I, I will, I will take as many food categories as they're willing to provide. Yeah. It's my best. It's my best learned in league category. So I like that stuff. Carol did quite well in the anagram category. She was on it. Mm, she got yeah. the eight hundred, twelve hundred, and sixteen hundred dollar. Clues, which I thought was really impressive. Not to like, not to get about, get on about age or anything, but like she's you know noticeably older than the other two contestants, and this you know that kind of question is a you have to do more steps more quickly. Yeah, but she did really well with them. Yeah, so thought that was impressive. Mm-hmm. Retired computer programmer. I don't know. I guess that's fair. Got like the yeah, got puzzle the- <laughs> puzzle kind of brain. Yeah. <laughs> I. Mm, 
the two thousand dollar level of science. A 1957 Scientific American article called this mighty organelle the powerhouse of the cell. Did they really ask as a $2,000 question, what is the powerhouse of the cell? Well, yes. <laughs> yes, they really did. It's the it's mitochondria. <laughs> Not everyone has that memorized. I mean, a lot uh, of us do. Yeah. <laughs> that I, mm, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell is like, I don't, I, I don't know. I feel like I see it thrown a around a lot as like a, a cliche fact. Mm -hmm. Daily double number two is in the 10 letter adjectives category at the $1,200 level. Pick number 15. Alex finds it. He's at 10,200. Angie's at 4,200. Carol's at 5,800. He wagers 2,500 and gets the clue only superficially relevant or related to a line making contact with a curve at a single point. And he gets correct with what is tangential. Mm -hmm. And daily double number three is in names and history at the $1,600 level pick number 23. Alex finds this one as well. At this point, he's at 15,100 with Angie at 7,000 and Carol at 8,600. He wagers 5,000. And he gets the clue, famed Roman talker Marcus Tullius, who ended up talking himself to death, was better known by this one name. And he gets this one correct. It is Cicero. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Angie's at 7,000, but Alex has a lock position at 22,900, and Carol is at 7,800. Final Jeopardy category is 20th century lit. And the clue... Squashing the allegory theory, the daughters of the author of this novel say it's just a story about rabbits. Angie doesn't know, doesn't have a guess, just wrote what is question mark, wagered all 7,000, drops to zero. Carol gets it correct with what is watership down, wagered 6201, gets her up to 14,001, which covers Angie's all in, and Alex also got it correct with what is watership down and added 2100 to a nice round $25,000. Mm-hmm. From a literary criticism perspective, I mean, this, it's a philosophical question, right? Like, does the right. author have to intend the deeper meaning for it to exist, right? And like, mm -hmm. maybe when we're talking about allegories, like if it wasn't intended as an allegory, then it's not an allegory. Sure. Maybe, like, I'm not sure you know, kind of whether you can have an allegory without authorial intent, but sure. no, but, I, I, I agree. Oh yeah. I get what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. My take on it is like, what, what did the daughters know about it? I mean, maybe, I mean, I guess if their dad was just like, no, maybe he told them that, but also yeah, like, like why is that up to them more than anyone mm -hmm. else? Yeah. So I, I, I'm not sure I've read Watership Down. I don't really feel like I have a, a dog or, or a rabbit as the case may be in this race, but I don't know. There's something, there's something in me that when, when people are like, Oh no, the book has no deeper meaning. The people who like, think there's a deeper meaning there are incorrect. <laughs> like, ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, there's there's sure. part of me that's like, no, no, that's not, that's not how, that's not how meaning works mm -hmm. anyway. Okay. And on Friday we have the contestants for Kel Stewart an accountant from Austin, Texas. Tom Zaleski, a sports writer and author from Washington, Utah, and Alex Gordon, a medical student from Summers, New York, whose one-day cash winnings total $25,000. And the Jeopardy round categories are I've Got Your Atomic Number, Historical Hodgepodge, Seeing Right Through You, Eagles, Hotel California, 
and take it easy with easy in quotation marks. And uh, that, that easy category had a couple of, um, it wouldn't be neg, but it's just like my brain going to the wrong place. Mm. So like with the $600 clue, hyphenated French name of the type of eyewear you are eyeing here. And there actually was a picture. It's Pincenez. Mm-hmm. But my brain, instead of ever thinking Pincenez, it thinks Nez Purse. <laughs> that's different. That is very that's, different. That's very funny. Yeah. That's, I have that with. Pancho Villa and Sancho Panza. Sancho Panza. Yes. Two different things. Not the same. But of course. Somehow uh, just enough letters in common mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they get crossed. Yeah, I hear that. Yep. Yeah. So that that happened to me there. And then the thousand dollar clue, this type of music that has its roots in Ashkenazi Jews features the clarinet and violin, among other instruments. And because there's a Z in the thing, my brain was like Zydeco. Zydeco. But mm-hmm. it is Klezmer. Klezmer, which yes. Not not the same. Mm-hmm. And and yet I just I just went there. I was like Zydeco, gotta be it. Nailed it. And then Alex picked it up with Klezmer and I was like, oh yeah, that would have been really embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was Zydeco earlier this week also. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. really helped it to spring to mind. Yep. <laughs> it's just like right there. Yeah. This thing I definitely think about a lot. Mm-hmm. It made it, made it much easier to, to spring to mind because it had come up earlier. I, I have also experienced like the opposite effect when we were playing Jeopardy. Do you remember we had that triple stumper clue about Hershey? Mm-hmm. Is that right? And Le- yeah. And In our game. And yeah. And we'd had like, I think during rehearsal we'd had a clue about Lancaster. And so like, so like that, like when we were playing Jeopardy, that clue came up and I was like, mm, nope, they did this in a previous game. It wasn't a previous game. It was rehearsal. But like, mm-hmm. I knew the answer and let it go by because I was like, oh no, they wouldn't like repeat something so soon. Like we just did this. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But we're not here to talk about our game. We're here to talk about their game. Yeah, we're here to talk about Legoland at the $400 level of Hotel California. Hit the bricks for this theme park in Carlsbad that opened a new castle hotel on the premises in 2018. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that's Legoland. That is. That is Legoland. You enjoy Legoland. I do enjoy Legoland. I've never been to Legoland. Ah, there's one in California. There's one in Apparently. Florida. There's one in New York. So when you come hang out with me, mm-hmm. you can come Bring your kids. We'll go to Legoland. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah. We had a <laughs> we had a triple stumper. Three swings and three misses at the $1000 level of I've got your atomic number. The clue there was 27. It's essential to smartphone batteries. Raquel tried what is cadmium, which is what I was guessing. Tom tried what's lithium. Alex tried what's copper, but we were looking for cobalt. Mm-hmm. There are a fair number of elements in smart smartphone manufacturing. Those all sounded like solid guesses to me. I couldn't yeah, remember it, which element was 27. Yeah. Any one of them. I was like, Oh, that could be it. Oh, that could yeah. be it. That could be it. No, they couldn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Daily double number one is in seeing right through you at the $600 level. Tom finds it. He is at negative 1200. Alex is at 2200 and Raquel is at negative 400. He wagers a thousand. And gets a clue. The subtitle to this H.G. Wells novel is A Grotesque Romance. And he doesn't have a, an idea and guesses what is the thin man. 
but that is the Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. So he drops even farther. But at the end of the Jeopardy round, he has gotten himself out of the hole. Tom is at 800, Raquel is at 3,800, and Alex is in the lead at 6,600. And we have the Double Jeopardy categories, A Bridge Too Far, Country Singers in Country Songs, Ancient Artifacts, We Live in a Society, Behind the Bond, and Only One Consonant. Behind the Bond was all James Bond questions. Indeed it I was. Wasn't, I wasn't quite sure what to expect there. James Bond, Atomic Bonds, Bonds, like, yeah. I don't know, stocks and bonds. <laughs> right, other kinds of bonds, like could be anything, but it was in fact James Bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I enjoyed that category. There was a triple stumper at the $2,000 level, though. A fan letter calling the Beretta a ladies' gun prompted Fleming to switch Bond's gun to this German style. Alex guesses what is a Luger, which is not a bad guess when you're thinking like German gun, mm-hmm. but that's a Walter or Walther. Yeah. Wal- mm-hmm. I always, they always pronounced it a Walter because they're British and they don't, they don't do foreign affectations. Yeah. Hey, did I ever tell you the story about the time I found a Luger unsecured in my office? No. Oh, maybe I'll put it on the <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never a dull moment around this church. <laughs> I mean, I do. I need to know. Was it like early on? Was it like, oh, no. this was left over from the last? This was it like was, it was left over from the last pastor, but I didn't find it for like four years. Nice. Yes. Good. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Def- definitely not a yeah. <laughs> not a like disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> ah. Yeah, I think I, I I think I could put a story time on the Patreon. It, yeah. Do the people want that content? Who knows? Doesn't matter. Um, it's our Patreon. Right. Yep. They're going to get it whether they like it or not. I'll put a story time on the Patreon. Good. The uh, $2,000 level of country singers and country songs. Jimmy Ellen's down home mentions this trailblazing black country singer who died in 2020. Tom got that, which I guess makes sense. Tom is a bit older than the other two. That's Charlie Pride. The only reason I know Charlie Pride is because he was a regular staple at Hustafest, which apparently was a yearly celebration in North Dakota, where hmm. my grandma and her siblings grew up and they would go to Hustafest and they would see Charlie Pride every year. And Charlie Pride was their favorite country singer because Charlie Pride was at Hustafest every year. <laughs> and because. So good. <laughs> so good. And and I think there was an assumption in their own minds that because they enjoyed the music of a black country singer, there's no way that they could ever be racist, which is just mm-hmm. just solid. Yeah. yeah, you get a lifetime certificate. Enjoy the music of Charlie Pride, lifetime exemption from white white supremacy. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Good old mm-hmm. Charlie Pride. Yeah. They knew the Orange River. Which, From South Africa, yes. Yes, which has come up numerous times. Numerous times. I think you must have covered it during Rivers Deep Dive and also... I did. Did it also come up in the Boer Wars Deep Dive? Uh, I think it did, no. probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, yeah. That's probably how they knew it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Daily Double number two is in Ancient Artifacts at the $1,600 level. Alex finds it at pick number seven. 
He's at 8,600 with Tom at negative 1,200 and Raquel at 7,000. He wagers 2,500 and he gets the clue. Heinrich Schliemann found gold ornaments he called the Jewels of Helen while excavating this site in 1873. And he gets it correct. It is Troy. Yep. So he gets out to a further lead. Raquel kind of catches up and she finds daily double number three in behind the bond at pick number 17, also 1600 level. At this point, she's at 11,800. Alex is at 13,100. And Tom is still in the red at negative 1,200. She was just 4,000. It's a clue. The Spectre device in From Russia with Love is based on this German machine that Fleming tried to steal codes from during World War II. And she doesn't offer any guess. But that's mm, the Enigma. Yeah. The Enigma machine. Mm-hmm. She was knocking on the door there, and then she, she falls back. Yes. Well, that's a tough break. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Alex is in a lock position with 16,300. Raquel's at 7,800. Tom is at 2,400. The final jeopardy category is history and nature. And the clue is in March, 1519, these were again seen in mainland North America for the first time in 10,000 years with the arrival of 16 of them. Tom tried, what is alligators? That's not correct. He wagered 2,300. So he'll drop down to 100. Raquel did get it correct with what is the horse? Uh, And she wagered 5,000, which brings her up to 12,800. But Alex was, as we said, in a lock position and had it correct with what are horses and a $200 wager, which puts him at 16,500 and gives him his second win. Yep. So we will see him back on Monday. And this is the break where we remind you that we have a Patreon it's patreon.com slash potent potables. And if you have a couple bucks a month to help us offset the costs of making this podcast, hosting and software and the various other expenses that we incur doing this thing, we would greatly appreciate it. And we greatly appreciate those of you who are helping us out in that way already. Thank you so much if you're a Patreon supporter. We try to put a little bit of exclusive content on there. We try and put the quiz questions on right after we record so that Patreon supporters can get a preview of the preview of those while we're editing. And, uh, you know, sometimes we put something else on there. I'm going to try and remember to tell the story on there about finding a Luger in a church closet. Yeah. Yeah. People want to know, as in yep. I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll throw it on there. And uh, and of course, there are other more important things in the world. So we we don't feel right asking for money without acknowledging that, you know, there are more important things you could be doing with your money. So we, we like to put a few of those that are important to us in our show notes. Yep. Yeah. So Kyle, do you have deep dive guesses? I do. There are a lot of good options this week. Like a lot of good options. There were a lot of good options. Are we talking from, I got to talk ask about this, uh, this, this game. Are we talking about the Enigma? Oh, no, we're not talking about the Enigma. That would have been a okay. good one. Okay. Oh man, there's so many options. Are we talking about Cecil Rhodes? No, we are not. Are we talking about mm, Singapore? No. 
Okay. I, I have headed for something kind of wheelhousey for me again. There was a children's literature triple stumper mm. that went on by. That was Monday's game in the books by chapter mm-hmm. category. Is it the wind in the willows? It is the wind in the willows. The six hundred dollar ah, level. On, yeah, up, up there on my list of guesses. Yep, the Piper at the Gates of Dawn and Mister Toad. Nobody tried it. It is the wind in the willows. I think we've mentioned the wind in the willows in passing a couple times before. It's come up kind of tangentially in at least some of my deep dives, maybe some of yours. And I think every time it comes up, we're like, oh, yeah, that's like a famous book that I, you know, know very little about. <laughs> I, I've never read it. And I knew it had a toad in a car. That was that was all I had, really. So I figured I would look up the wind in the willows, learn a little bit about it. I, you know, I haven't read it. It's a 300 ish page children's novel. But it's, you know, public domain enough that there are like scans of the entire text online. So, you know, I looked, I looked through a little bit and got a little, you know, kind of sense of, of the book as well and figured we'd talk about the wind in the willows a little bit. Sounds good. Yeah. So the wind in the willows is a children's novel by the British novelist, Kenneth Graham. It was first published in 1908. So let's, let's talk about Kenneth Graham for a minute. This isn't going to be, you know, a full biography of Kenneth Graham, but, you know, a little bit about him. He was born in 1859 in Edinburgh, Scotland. He is, you know, most famous for The Wind in the Wellows. He also wrote a book called The Reluctant Dragon, which is, you know, reasonably remembered and, and a few other titles as well. When he was quite young, his mother died of scarlet fever, and he and his siblings were sent to live with his maternal grandmother. Their father didn't feel capable of, you know, kind of raising them as a as a as a widowed father. So they went to live with his maternal grandmother in the village of Cookham in Berkshire. Um, It was kind of a bucolic kind of rural area, lots of experiences boating with his uncle, which were formative. And uh, that setting and uh, and those boating experiences also were believed to have been inspirations for the wind in the willows. He wanted to pursue a degree at Oxford, but because of the costs, his family denied that. And he went to work as a banker at the Bank of England in 1879, rose through the ranks, and retired from that work in 1908 due to ill health. His retirement may also have been precipitated by being present for a shooting incident at the bank in 1903, during which he was shot at but was not hit that may have understandably put him off the the field. (laughs) I I would understand wanting to get out of there. So he retired in 1908 because of his health and to focus more on writing or, you know, then went on to focus more on writing. He was married, married Elspeth Thompson in 1899. They had one child, a boy named Alistair, nicknamed Mouse, who was born in 1900. Mouse was a sickly child. He was born blind in one eye and had numerous health problems throughout his life, which was short. He died by suicide when he was 20 or just before he turned 20. Mm -hmm. Uh, But The Wind in the Willows was inspired by the stories that Kenneth Graham told to his son when his son was young. And Kenneth Graham went on to live until 1932 and is buried in Oxford. But back to 
the the work, The Wind in the Willows. So when Alistair was about four years old, Graham would tell him bedtime stories, some of which were about a toad. And after retiring from the bank, Kenneth Graham developed the bedtime stories he had told Alistair into the manuscript of The Wind in the Willows. The novel's episodic. It focuses on a set of main characters. There is a mole who is known as Molly. There is a character named Rat, although Rat is actually a water vole. He's not a rat. Huh. Surprise. How um, wildly misleading. Right? And then, and then there's Mr. Toad of Toad Hall. He is a toad. He has inherited his father's estate. He's a, he's a gentleman toad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's Mr. Badger. He is a badger. Wise hermit figure. So those are the four main characters. And then there are supporting characters as well. In addition to the main narrative, the book has several independent short stories featuring Rat and Mole, such as an encounter with the wild god Pan while searching for the for Otter's son, Portly, and one about Ratty meeting a sea rat. These appear between the chapters chronicling to- Toad's adventures and are often omitted from abridged and dramatized versions of The Wind in the Willows. But the main narrative opens with Mole doing some spring cleaning and then getting, you know, exasperated with cleaning and going out where he makes a new friend. He meets Rat. The, the vole, the water vole. The two strike up a friendship and they start to do boating trips together. And one summer day, Rat and Mole disembark near the Grand Toad Hall and they pay a visit to Toad. Toad is rich, jovial, friendly, and kind-hearted, but sometimes rash. He regularly becomes obsessed with fads of the moment only to abandon them abruptly so when they meet him he is obsessed with the horse-drawn caravan but a passing car scares his horse and causes his caravan to overturn into a ditch and so immediately he becomes enamored with motor cars so that's where that's where we get this toad in a car image from the wind in the willows the narrative skips ahead to winter right toad has just become obsessed with motor cars and then we skip ahead six months And we find Mole and Rat searching for Badger, the wise hermit figure. And there's some narrative and adventuring around that. And they finally meet Badger and are, you know, getting to know Badger, having conversation with Badger. And in their conversation, we discover that Toad has crashed seven cars, has been in the hospital three times, and has spent a fortune on fines related to his motor car obsession. (laughs) (laughs) So the three of them, Mole, Rat, and Badger, put Toad under house arrest with themselves as the guards. But Toad pretends to be sick and tricks Ratty to leave so that he can escape. Badger and Mole continue to live in Toad Hall in the hope that Toad will return. Toad ends up stealing a car, getting caught, being sentenced to prison for 20 years. And in prison, he gains the sympathy of the jailer's daughter who helps him to escape disguised as a washerwoman. And when he returns to the forest, he learns that Toad Hall has been taken over by weasels, stoats, and ferrets of you know, of ill character. So the the four friends work together to drive out the intruders and Toad holds a banquet to mark his return, during which he is a changed Toad. He makes up for his earlier excesses by seeking out and compensating those he has wronged and the four friends live happily ever after. Uh, there's more to it than that. But you know, those are kind of the, the broad stroke outlines, I think, I hope, as a person yeah. who, you know, has read a summary, but not the book. Um mm-hmm. The Wind in the Willows was published in the UK by Methuen, Methuen and Company, and later in the US by Scribner. It was critically panned, but 
commercially successful, very popular. In 1909, then president, US President Theodore Roosevelt wrote to Kenneth Graham to tell him that he had read it and reread it and have come to accept the characters as old friends. The original publication of the book was, you know, plain text with a front with an illustrated frontispiece illustrated by Graham Robertson. But there have been many illustrated comic and annotated versions over the years. The most notable illustrations were the Ernest Shepard ones, originally published in 1931. If you recognize that's na- that name, because it's because Ernest Shepard also illustrated Winnie the Pooh. These illustrations are believed to be authorized because Graham was pleased with the initial sketches, although he did not live to see the completed work. The list of adaptations of The Wind in the Willows is astounding. It, there, there are an astounding number of adaptations of this work. So I'm not covering them all. I'm going to hit a few highlights, though. We've talked before about the stage play Toad of Toad Hall by A.A. Mm-hmm. Milne, produced in 1929 when the novel was in its 31st printing. And there have been then subsequently many stagings and adaptations to other media of Toad of Toad Hall. There was a 1985 Tony-nominated Broadway musical, Wind in the Willows, starring Nathan Lane. There was a, I think it was a play. I don't think it was a musical. The Wind in the Willows by Alan Bennett, premiered in 1990 at the National Theater in London. That's a notable one with some notable figures associated with it. But those are those are just a few of the many, many musicals and plays and, you know, stage adaptations. A children's opera also a recent children's Ooh. opera. Yeah. And uh, this is kind of an outlier. I wasn't sure where to put it. John Rutter, the composer, wrote a setting of The Wind in the Willows for narrator, SATB chorus, and chamber orchestra, apparently. Oh, nice. Yeah. I've played R- on Rutter's Gloria. I like John Rutter's music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. Uh, let's talk about theatrical films. You knew, you knew I wouldn't be able to get through this without bringing up Disney. The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad was well, a 1949 animated. I mean, like, I, it would be irresponsible of me to like not, yeah. not mention it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, come on, uh, what are we? What are we doing yeah. here? Yeah, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad was the 1949 animated adaptation produced by Walt Disney Productions. The Mr. Toad portion was narrated by Basil Rathbone. And one, the other half of the of the film was like this unrelated short story, different narrator, different everything. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this was like a there was like an era of Disney films where they were just sort of packaging short films together into kind of things that were long enough to you know count. I guess. Yeah. Um, there was The Wind in the Willows, a 1996 live action film written and directed by Terry Jones of Monty Python. Starring, oh. starring Steve Coogan as Mole, Eric Idle also with Monty Python as Rat, and Terry Jones as Mr. Toad. I haven't, I haven't seen it. Like looking at it, it seems like they just sort of skipped over the fact that these are anthropomorphized animals. Which, fair enough, there is very little about these animal figures that is like animal-like. Like they're just mm-hmm. doing people things, but they happen to be a toad, a mole, mole who is called rat and a badger, right? Like mostly they're just doing people things. So like, sure. (laughs) And then there was a film that didn't come together in 2003. Guillermo del Toro was working on an adaptation for Disney. It was to mix live action with CG animation. And the Guillermo del Toro is quoted as saying, it was a beautiful book. 
And then I went to meet with the executives and they said, could you give Toad a skateboard and make him say radical dude things? And that's when I said, it's been a pleasure. And so <laughs> that one didn't end up happening, which, nice. yeah. I hmm. uh, Guillermo del Toro seems like the wrong person to ask for that, if that's your ask. Right. Yeah. And there have been a gajillion TV da- TV adaptations, starting with a live action telecast of the A.A. Milne play in 1946. But then the list just goes on and on. There was a 1983 British animated TV film version with stop motion animated puppets, which then was followed by a TV series using the same sets and characters, but, you know, original stories about the Wind in the Willows characters. So that that one stood out for me and also kind of looked familiar, like I'd maybe like seen it at some time during my childhood. And then there was another one that stood out was a 1985-1987, I think maybe created in 1985, aired in the US in 1987, something like that, animated musical TV film version produced by Rankin Bass Productions. The best known productions of of that company are Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman. So like that that company, but you know, quite a bit later. This version was very faithful to the book and featured a number of original songs, including the title Wind in the Willows performed by folk singer Judy Collins. Also, I looked at the looked at the song list, and there is a song that I hope I can find on YouTube or something titled We Don't Have Any Pate de Foie Gras. Uh, <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, uh, that aired on ABC in 1987. But there have been a bunch of other TV adaptations. Those were just the ones that m- maybe seemed significant or like they might, you know, might be more familiar. Numerous BBC radio plays as well. There have been some related books to The Wind in the Willows. Jan Needle's Wildwood was published in 1981. It's a retelling of the story of The Wind in the Willows from the point of view of the working class inhabitants of the Wildwood. For them, money is short and employment is hard to find, and they have a very different perspective on the easy, careless life of the aristocratic uh, toad. Uh, <laughs> it's, yes. a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a class critical follow-up to Wind in the Willows. Then there are a number of kind of more straight-up sequel kinds of things. Dixon Scott's A Fresh Wind in the Willows was published in 1983 as a sequel in the style of Wind in the Willows. William Horwood created several sequels, The Willows in Winter, Toad Triumphant, The Willows and Beyond, and The Willows at Christmas. Jacqueline Kelly wrote a sequel, Return to the Willows, published in 2012. And then there have been some kind of, kind of, Creative reinterpretations as well, besides the Jan Needle one that I mentioned. In the Wake of the Willows by Frederick Thurber was published in 2019. It takes the same set of characters and puts the whole thing in southern New England. And there was a an audio version released on Audible by Dinah Gregory, which was like a gender-flipped adaptation of The Wind in the Willows as well. So those are a few of the interesting or notable adaptations that I found. And then just a handful of Wind of the Willows kind of pop culture things and and uh, things of that nature. First, this is this is a big downer, but it is a it's, you know, something to know if we're learning Wind in the Willows tri- trivia. In 2016, the historian Adrian Greenwood was murdered in his home by a thief who was trying to find a rare 1908 first edition print of which Greenwood was in possession. The book was later recovered as part of the criminal investigation 
and there is a true crime like documentary kind of thing about hmm. that incident. Interesting. Yeah, the the wind in the willows murder. I think it's they referred to that as the first album of that Pink Floyd put out was called The Piper at the Gates of Dawn. It was mm. released in 1967. And if you remember from the Jeopardy clue, that is the title of a chapter of The Wind in the Willows. That's chapter seven. Um, mm -hmm. There's no clear connection between like the songs on the album and Wind of the Willows. The Piper mm. at the Gates of Dawn is just kind of a cool name, I think. <laughs> so yeah, um, it is. Yeah. And then that same... That same phrase or that Piper at the Gates of Dawn comes up in a number of other musical settings subsequent to that. Hard to say whether they are also referencing Wind in the Willows or whether they're referencing Pink Floyd. The most notable one that I found was the Piper at the Gates of Dawn was a song title for a song by Van Morrison. Oh. Yep. And then the last kind of last pop culture connection here. So I mentioned The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. So let's Make the make the theme park connection. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride is the name of a ride at Disneyland in California. Mm -hmm. And it's a former attraction at Disney's Magic Kingdom in Orlando, Florida. They ended up using, you know, closing Mr. Toad's Wild Ride in the Magic Kingdom and turning that space into something else. I think that's where the Winnie the Pooh ride is now. Is it? Okay. I think. I'm not 100% uh, sure. You would know better than um, I. Hold on. I'm guessing it's the Toy Story one where you shoot things. That's in Hollywood Studios. Never mind. It's not there. <laughs> yeah. It's not that one. They they closed it to make room for the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Oh, um, you're right. You're yeah. right. I never should have doubted. <laughs> but after they removed the ride from the Magic Kingdom, they added a statue of Mr. Toad to the cemetery outside the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. Mr. Toad. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I've got about The Wind in the Willows. Right. Super influential book. Weirdly, because like it's a it's a weird little book, but I guess it was early in the history of children's literature and people really wanted those anthropomorphic animals. So mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. I mean who doesn't? Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, very, very influential and like the number of adaptations of this thing just just blew my mind. It's a it's a huge list. Yeah. So yeah, that's a little bit about the wind in the willows. Are you ready for a quiz? I definitely am. I thought you were. All right. We don't have a we don't have a big theme here, but I'm like I'm using the like <laughs> the four characters for the most part to kind of shape the questions a little bit. All right. Question one. We're not in the four characters yet. We're in willows. Much has been made of the medicinal use of willow bark over the centuries. But I was surprised to learn that willow was a strategic material for the British military during World War II. Britain produced 2,000 tons of willow per year and employed 7,000 craftspeople to do what? During World War II. Mm-hmm. I have a hint if you want. I'll take that hint. Yeah. Snarky idioms aside, they did not do it underwater. Oh. Basket weaving. That is correct. Yeah. So willow baskets were light, strong, and resilient enough to attach them to parachutes to drop stuff. Interesting. Yeah. So they had, you know, 
they were producing willow and turning the willow into willow baskets as like a strategic part of their, you know, military operation. And I also, as I was learning about, as I was researching this, learned underwater basket weaving, like may or may not be a thing, but you do actually, you submerge the willow to get it pliable enough to weave, right? Like, <laughs> Sure. Okay. So the, wa- do, the basket you, is underwater. You don't have to be. Yeah. You Well, you like, you like submerge it for a while and then like you take it out and work with it. And then if it gets, you know, too rigid, you like resubmerge the basket and then take it out and work with it some more. Yeah. But hey, you're at 10 points. Question two. Ratty, as we've covered, is a vole named rat, sometimes called ratty. I've I've dropped in occasional ratties like we're like we're besties throughout the deep dive. So ratty is a vole named rat, but mole is a mole named mole, and Mr. Toad is a toad named Toad. In what 1967 animated TV series, which was adapted into a 1997 live action film and later rebooted into another animated series, do we encounter an ape named Ape? Ape is a sidekick of the title character who is a spoof of Tarzan. And in the 1997 movie, it was portrayed by Brendan Fraser. Well, that would be George of the Jungle. It is George of the Jungle. You didn't even need my watch out for that no, trinket that I had I on reserve. I love George of the Jungle. Me too. Classic. And Ape was voiced by John Cleese in the 1997 movie, which is, I don't know, <laughs> the one that John matters Cleese. to me. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The, the number of times that Monty Python figures have come up in researching this deep dive and quiz is, it's a, it's a lot. Wild. It's a, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too much, I would say. It's, it's too much. Yeah. They, I don't know. They're, they're very wind in the willows adjacent. Well, the, I guess, I guess George of the Jungle is not wind in the willows adjacent, except in that, you know, there's an ape named ape, which reminded me of, which I was mm-hmm. reminded of by the mole named mole. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, George of the Jungle. Great. Lo- I love that movie. I haven't seen it in so long. When you say you love, when, when you, your enthusiasm about George of the Jungle, was it for the movie or was it for, like, did you know the TV show? Oh, the oh, cartoon. You yeah. knew the cartoon. Okay. Yeah, with Super Chicken. Yes. And Rocky and Bullwinkle. There are yes. so few episodes of that cartoon. I didn't realize. Yes, a shockingly small number. Like, more episodes than Firefly episodes, I think. Yeah, but still. But not many more. Not yeah. many. Mm-hmm. All right, 20 points. Nice work. All right, so I was just I was just mentioning rat. So let's talk Chinese Zodiac. The year of the rat was three years ago, and we're currently in the year of the rabbit. Uh, I will give you one point for each of the other Chinese Zodiac <sighs> signs you can name. Okay. There are 12 altogether, and I just mentioned two, rat and rabbit. So yep. there are 10 okay. more. And I'll give you okay. 11 guesses. Okay. All right. I need to pencil and paper. Okay. Rat and rabbit are out. Horse. Yes. Pig. Yes. Rooster. Yes. Dragon. Yes. Monkey. Yes. Snake. Yes. One, two, three, four, five, six. Dog. Yes. Goat. Yes. You're at eight with no misses so far. I am at eight with no misses. There are two left. Okay. Mm -hmm. Tiger. Yes. And... (sighs) Do you want a hint? 
kind of want to try and get it on my own, but okay. I don't know that I will. Tiger, goat, dog, snake, monkey, dragon, rooster, pig, horse, rat, rabbit. I'll take the hint. It has the fewest letters of any of them. Oh, the ox. Yes. You're the ox. Nice. Ten points. Oof. Oh, yeah. I, that I was knew someday that would pay off. Very impressive. Did you did you study that for like the Tournament of Champions? I actually learned that way before for Dungeons and Dragons because I had a Chinese Zodiac themed dungeon that I made <laughs> for my players. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, all right. You're at 30 points. Doing great. Question four. Mr. Toad is most likely a common toad, also known as a European toad. There is a species, which is not actually a toad, but a frog, but we call it a toad, which incubates its eggs in honeycombed chambers on the skin of its back. This is nightmare fuel, by the way. So like, (laughs) if you Google it, you know, it's not on me. I warned you. After what? country the capital of which is paramaribo is this amphibian named it's the common blank toad blank is the name of the country paramaribo pretty sure you made that up that's not a real place brett bretterson <laughs> <laughs> that was a teen girl squad yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> I'm like second guessing myself about the capital, which I did definitely look up. No, you're, because, I'm like, sure you're right. I, I'm I, just, think of, I think of you as somebody who just like has your capitals cold. I I have a lot of them. It's why I'm like, I don't recognize it. So because like I just talked about a South American country, right? I just talked about Paraguay. And mm-hmm. I'm, I am like as certain as I can be that it's not a South American country. Because I would think it, if it's some kind of frog or toad, mm. unless it's like Guiana or whatever the fuck, because mm. that's Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Is it one of those? Is it one of those three at the top that doesn't, I mean, mm. just mm-hmm. isn't French Guiana, just part of France. So its capital is Paris. Toad? Common Guiana toad? Never heard of that. Common Suriname toad? No, it's not Suriname. Is it Suriname? Because I'm thinking of I'm thinking of rainforest, right? Maybe I yeah. shouldn't be thinking of rainforest. All right, F- fine, Guiana. It was Suriname. Suriname. It was Suriname. Uh, how do How do I? Fr- okay, <laughs> South America. Time to Google a map. Yeah, it's one of those little ones at the top. Yeah. 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 Her- it is Suriname. I thought for sure because Suriname was Dutch. Yeah. Yeah. It's the one I forget. Mm-hmm. It's the one South American capital I forgot. It has a horrifying frog, which is called the common Suriname toad. Oh, good to know. <laughs> we've got a we've got a we, we've got a frog named Toad. We've got a toad named Toad. We've got a we've got a bull named Rat. The the common Suriname toad incubates eggs on its back for four to five months in these like honeycomb like pockets on its back. And the eggs develop into fully formed froglets inside the, the, to- the frog's back. And then they climb out of the holes. And it's horrifying. <laughs> horrifying. No, it's, 
awesome. I'm looking at this. This is incredible. This is like the stuff of legends. (laughs) Nightmares. Relatedly, the fear of clusters of holes is called trypophobia. You have mentioned that before. (laughs) Yes. I'm I'm pretty sure that I saw the common Suriname toad on like some National Geographic thing. That's how I got my trypophobia. That's fair. (laughs) All right. So you're at... 30 points, and we've learned about the common Suriname toad, and let's do question five. Mr. Badger is only one of many badger figures from popular culture, but let's skip way over, you know, all the many badgers in between and get to 2003. A looping flash video from 2003 consists of 12 animated cartoon badgers doing calisthenics, followed by what other organisms? The video is accompanied by a voiceover singing the names of what's appearing on the screen. There are two other organisms in the song. I'll take either or, you know, both for, you know, I don't know, style points. Maybe I'll give you bonus points if you get both. I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen this video. You haven't seen this video. Badgers doing calisthenics. Badger, 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 badger. No, nothing. (laughs) I truly have no idea. Ooh, okay. We'll guess a couple um, organisms then. Yeah. Badger, 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 badger. Llama. It's a great guess. And clam. <laughs> it, it's mushroom and snake. Yeah, nope. Yeah. No way was I going to get there. There was a different looping flash video from I think maybe right around the same year that had llamas also though so when you said llama I was like oh yeah the llama video I should find that one giving me too much credit for that one yeah (laughs) okay Um, yeah so this is I mean this is from that like weird early flash video era that we've talked about but people have not forgotten it or you know they hadn't 10 years ago save the badger 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 was a song released on in may of 2013 in response to proposed badger culling in the united kingdom hmm, uh, interesting. using using the badger 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 tune i guess nice to the extent that it is a tune <laughs> yeah, yes yeah, it's just chanting really <laughs> <laughs> all right well, hey, I got a little obscure there on the last couple of questions, but you're at 30 points. And the final category is spy novelists. Okay, I'll go with all 30. All right. For <laughs> all the points. I might be overestimating my knowledge of spy novelists. All right. We've taught it's I mean, it's mm, I, I, I think you're going to be okay. We've talked about mole the mole. And we've talked about star-nosed moles a while back, but we haven't talked about moles like spies working within target organizations. What author of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy introduced the espionage jargon term mole to the public? Oh, God, what's his name? I mean, unless it's Ian Fleming, but I don't think it was Ian Fleming because he wrote... Was it Ian Fleming? Did he write Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? No, I don't think so. It was the other one. Okay, I I can. I, I know this. I'm going to get it. Oh, is it um Lacare? Lacar? Yes, John Lacare. Yes, correct. John Lacare. Yes, that is his pen name. His given name is David Cornwell. And uh, yes, he wrote The Spy Who Came In from the Cold. And he introduced introduced the term mole to the public in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And uh, before becoming 
writer. He worked for MI5 and MI6. So, you know, writing what he knew, he, I guess. He knew what he was talking about. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Hey, 60 points. Nice job. Not bad. All right. Yeah. yeah thank you. That was a gr- that was a very good quiz. And thank you very uh, much. a great deep dive for yeah. me to have now. Yeah. Now we know about the wind in the willows. So mm-hmm. in the future, we'll know <laughs> the wind in the willows. <laughs> yep. Just filling in those knowledge gaps as we go. Soon we will have covered all of all of the things. Every single fact. Every single thing that humans can know. Well, thank you as always, Kyle. And uh, thanks listeners for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you'd be so kind. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who are into Jeopardy, let them know about us. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com, and our website is potentpod.com. That's right. And we'll be back next week with more Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Bye.